podcast dedicated to sharing the real stories of real friends with the belief that each one of us wants to be fully known and fully loved. Today we chat with one of my favorite couples, Wes and Natalie Fletcher. I love them as a couple and I love them individually very much. Each person's life has trials and tribulations. Wes and Natalie's life is no different. On the surface, you'd think they were living the perfect life and you'd probably be 99% correct. But during their journey, Wes and Natalie struggled with a season of infertility that challenged the very core of who they were and what they believed. What would you do and how would you respond if some of your deepest God-given desires look like they might never be answered the way you hoped and dreamed they would? Listen to my friends, Wes and Natalie's story and decide for yourself. This is Real Friends. Okay, I'm here with my good friends, Wes and Natalie Flesher. Wes and Natalie, how are you two doing? Doing good. Doing good, thanks for having us. You bet. Um, so, how did we become friends and how long have we been friends? What's the genesis of our friendship, do you remember? I feel like, well, it started with youth group, we met with youth, mm-hmm. which was now, oh my gosh, 14, like... 14 years ago? 13, 14? 15, yeah, 14 years ago yeah. or something like that. Wow, amazing, amazing. So a lot of life has happened in that 15 years. Yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. Um, so what I like to do, I like to start things out by using the five love languages mm. as an introduction to who you are and how you both give and receive love, especially since you've been married to uh, one another for how many years? years just 15 years, just that wow. Okay. So for those who are unfamiliar with the five love languages, it's based upon a book written by Gary Chapman. That groups our ability to both express love and receive love into five love languages. And those are physical affection, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and gifts. So when it comes to physical affection, what's that look like for you too? How important it is, is it to you? And how has it changed over the years that you've been married? It's actually a funny question because you talk about like roots of where you came from. And that's totally where we see the physical piece being very different from our family dynamics and growing up. And I don't think we could realize that until we were married, but Wes is very much physical touch person. Like he likes me hold his hand and scratch his back. And I, I, I don't like, I, I, that is not my love language. So I, which makes sense. So I struggle giving it because it's not what I want to receive. Like how long did it take for you to realize it? How far did you have to get into your relationship before you realized it? It took a lot of conversations. No, I feel like, I still we, knew, do I feel like we knew pretty early on. You like, probably knew pretty early on. <laughs> like, like when we were dating and like we'd go, like we'd go on a walk, right? Yeah. Like we don't walk much as a married couple, but when you're dating, that's like the thing to do. You go on a walk. Yeah. And I would try to hold her hand and she's like, what's, what's going on? Why, why are you trying <laughs> Why are you touching me? Why are you touching me? Like, this seems like, a, this seems like a normal thing to do. And it's that family of origin thing. It's like, yeah. I grew up and my parents, it's gross, but they were all over each other. Like they just, they, they <laughs> well, love, that's great. they were both hero. a physical awesome. touch kind of a thing. Um, and the parents, I, I don't see them yeah. hug or hold hands all that often at all. So she grew up yeah. seeing that. Yeah. And right. so that definitely fed into, well, he, well, when I find somebody special, that's how I'm going to show them yeah. because that's what's been modeled for me type of a thing. And yeah, it's been 15 years and I still struggle at it. Still, I'm not still working it. on it. It's, it. It doesn't come natural. So you just have to put in that, that intentionality. And so there's a bit, I guess, more appreciation. I guess love if, physical touch came natural to her. I, I don't know that when she gave physical touch, if it would mean as much because it would be natural. But when she does it, 
then I know that she's being intentional because it's not something that like is yeah. hardwired. Well, unfortunately, my husband has compensated with that by buying every massager for his foot and his hand <laughs> and his arms and his legs that you can imagine. So it's like, oh, I don't have to. <laughs> Problem solved. I'll sell them all on eBay. You give me a back rub tonight. Um, so how important is physical affection to your kids? Because you have three kids, right? Mm-hmm. I we very. I don't know. It's I don't know why it's different. Like with the kids, it's really easy to hug and scratch their. Like he'll see me scratch my son's head off, and he's like, "Why don't you?" So you carry a CJ in here, right? Yeah. So I saw you bring him in, in right. here from Anisha. So it is natural. To yeah, you. yeah. Right. I think that's a motherly instinct, but for some reason, the spousal instinct for me is yeah. in different ways. I think if I pour into him differently, because my love language is definitely quality time. Okay. And so. So what's quality time look like? Um, I want. Time together as a family, going and doing things, being active, and just, and sometimes we had a conversation the other night, like to a fault, that that just generates most of who I am as far as maybe not doing other things because I desire that quality time so often with my family. Then. I'd say quality time for her means just making memories, right? Like in this day and age where memories are photographs, right? And then a year later on Time Hop or Facebook, whatever, you're getting reminded of what yeah. you did. She's not taking photos of that, but the things she wants to do are, you know, post-worthy. The things that are us together, high ropes course, or just something where we're working. It doesn't have to be an event, though, but it's just us being together and kind of making a family memory type thing. So how important then is quality time for you? I mean, I enjoy it, but it's uh, maybe it's the guy in me, you know, I'll want to rearrange the garage or do some landscaping or work on the basement or, you know, all those types of things kind of are, will rise up more as a priority for me where she's like, Hey, we don't have, we don't have anything going on this Saturday as a family. We should. And I'm like, Oh, we don't have anything going on Saturday. There's so many things I can get done around the house, you know, like projects. I take over the calendar and plan something. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say his even more than physical touch sometimes is words of affirmation. He's definitely words of affirmation guy too, like being poured into. And so that's easier for me to give him. Then the physical touches. Okay, so how important then is words of affirmation? What's that look like? And uh, how important is it to say those three simple words, I love you? Well, funny that you asked that because my kids <clears throat> would tell you what that looks like for us. And all of our family would tell you exactly what that looks like. Because ever since, I don't know if it was when we dated or got married or what, but ever since we had said I love you to each other, mm-hmm. we would squeeze each other's hands three times and say, I love you, but then it turned to kissing three times. So you will never not see us kiss goodbye three times. We don't just kiss once. <laughs> <laughs> or twice. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's, it, like and in that. fact, if we only happen to, if we're trying to do a, a quick one, and you're like, wait, wait, that was only two. I need, I need that third one. You know? And it's just, it's become a, you know. But the know, kids have picked up on it. And now it's like, they ask sometimes, why do you guys always kiss three times? But it gave us an opportunity to tell them why we do that and that yeah. there is meaning to it. Yeah. So that that's touching, right? But I mean, there's, there's an inherent language in that and that it's saying, I love you. Um, but I love you. I mean, we, multiple times a day I feel like like we say those things and then having kids you know that's one thing that I again family of origin like I grew up knowing that I was loved but I didn't hear it all that yeah. often yep. um, and and so it's kind of weird that physical touch I saw a lot with my parents mm-hmm. and then that words of affirmation <clears throat> that I love you is I feel like I didn't see as much and yet those are two even though one I got a lot of one I feel like I didn't get a lot of both of those to me are like the most important for me um, but for our kids I I feel like that comes really easy, almost to the point like, 
we say a hundred times a day. I mean, our, our kids are going to, you know, if I were to die tomorrow, they're, they're going to have words that they know that they can put on my tombstone. Well, dad says this all the time and I love you. He's going to be, I well, when, li- when they were little, especially way smaller, he, you know, we shoot videos all the time when they're like toddlers and everything. And he never would not end a video without saying, I love you before he stopped yeah. shooting the video, you know? So just trying to be really intentional with that. And it does come natural yeah. for us yeah. now, maybe because it's something we both, desired and craved and mm-hmm. I got told it but I don't know it's just natural I think part of it too is is, is um, you know being told that you know she finds me attractive or being told that like she's proud of an accomplishment at work or you know when I've done big projects around the house built the kids new beds or stuff like that like you know I find joy in doing those things but when I hear that she Find sure. joy in the fact that yeah. I did that as well. Yeah. That's right. just an extra little yeah. kind of boost that you get. So. Um, so how about acts of service? How important are acts of service? That's my other one. <laughs> Quality time and then acts of service. So what do acts of service look like? So for me, it's like yeah. I come home and the countertops are clean and the house mm-hmm. is vacuumed. Mm-hmm. And like he'll, the first time I think he ever did that, he laughed at me because he came home like, that's so hot. <laughs> I, love, I, I love that you vacuum. It, it pours for me. into the physical touch, and the words of that for me, you know, like there's a sequence here. Uh, so when we first got married, I was I was in the banking industry, and and so I was actually gone long hours on mm-hmm. there uh, for retail banking. And she's a teacher, so she'd often come home first. So she'd be home for a couple of hours before I was. So she'd get home, she'd clean, mm-hmm. she'd cook. I'd come home tired. Mm-hmm. We'd eat, and then. You know, I usually try to clean, but like she had a routine of a lot of extra stuff she had to do. When I transitioned to the position I am now, I, I work remotely. And so the ability for me after the family leaves, and now that we've got three kids, I mean, messes are just a daily thing, but after the kids leave, I clean up their stuff, I get the kitchen kind of in order, and throughout the day, if I've got time between meetings and stuff, like I'll vacuum or I can't say that I do laundry because that's that's really not. I've done that maybe five times. That was an unwritten marital contract <laughs> that I really regret. But but I know that if she comes home and she sees clean counters and a vacuumed floor, that like that's a that's going to set the tone yeah. for the rest of the yeah. afternoon. That's awesome. Meeting, you know? Well, I think it fe- that acts of service feeds into my quality time because I know that I don't have to yeah. do that, so that it allows me the privilege of having the quality time that I would be yeah. wasting mm-hmm. on cleaning yeah. and you know doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you come home from work, are you, are you the type of person who you like to immediately um, share with Wes how the day went, or do you need like some some time, some space alone, just to kind of unwind and unpack? I, I'm an open book and I share a lot but it's funny work I don't really mm. I don't know maybe it's not as much me. anymore mm. okay. and maybe that's maybe because I've I've weaned it out of you I mean when we first got married I feel like you did a lot but here again here's the difference she's a teacher yeah. Yeah. she deals with kids all day yeah when she gets home she wants to have adult conversation gotcha I deal with adults all day when I get done with work I don't want to deal with adults or talk about adults or, or whatever and yeah. so we found we did we did find that uh, in, in previous careers that that was a bit of an issue is that she would want to kind of talk about her day yeah. as soon as I got home, but like as soon as I got home, like I, I needed downtime, and that feeds into the whole extrovert introvert yeah. part of it too. You know, opposites attract. So, um, yeah, I feel like she, I feel like she would be more than willing to share. She has to pry things out of me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she wants that quality of time. What's going on in your life? And I'm not as typically as willing to share, but if she asks, I will. I just I have to be better about being more vocal. Gotcha. And so the the last of the five love languages is gifts. How important are gifts? 
What's the last like really cool gift that you've either given or received? That's easy. So <clears throat> the gifts for us is not top priority for either mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because in the beginning of our marriage, until we read that book, The Five Love Languages, uh-huh. It was like a revelation. Like we now give that book for wedding presents all the time because yeah. we love that book. But um, he would send me flowers like every couple of months mm-hmm. at work. Mm-hmm. Like every three or four it weeks. Was, it was, was awesome. It was <laughs> like everybody at work was like, how did you get this guy? Like why did you send me flowers? No, the receptionist would see a, 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 a FedEx driver or something coming in, bringing, bringing some flowers and would just already be calling him. Like not even yeah. knowing who it's for yet. Right. Anyway, there's flowers probably for you. <laughs> but then it, he realized... That like I loved it and I was like, oh, that's really nice, but it didn't fill my tank. Yeah. Like it was, it was a sweet gesture and I yeah. was always appreciative of it. But what I needed was quality time, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it was a learning curve and a, a financial save. Oh, save that! <laughs> Our kids are gonna get to go to college now because I don't have to buy flowers all the time, you know. But best gift, um, I always <clears throat> go back to. He did for my I don't even remember what year, it was, but he went and reached out to all my friends. And had them write something about me mm-hmm. and put it into a letter. Mm-hmm. And it just meant the world to me. And it's yeah. funny now that you asked that because when we were outside right before we started this, I was talking to my daughter outside and I said, do you remember that book that has pictures of mommy and daddy has a bunch of friends written mm-hmm. in it? And I said, that's Rob. Rob did that mm-hmm. for us. So in a way, the same gift from you, mm-hmm. it just yeah. people in a, words of affirmation, just people spending the time to do yeah. that mm-hmm. is way more than any physical, tangible gift. So if you're going to try to identify the top love language in each one of your kids, do you think you could do that? Do you think know what they are? We've actually talked about that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I haven't read the five love languages for kids on there, but I mean, I think essentially the same concepts kind of apply it. It's tough because I feel like as kids, like they kind of gravitate towards all of them. You know, like they, they they need kind of all of those. So determining the the predominant ones, um, I, don't know, I feel like physical touch is just a big thing. Again, it's sort of become a running joke in our household about mommy and daddy and how much daddy likes to to, to hug mommy and mm-hmm. kiss him in front of the kids and all that kind of stuff. And so, I, but I feel like they love those hugs. You know, our youngest gives hugs out yeah. all the time. Yeah. She just loves to be holding on to you and everything. My oldest, um, it's been months now, every night before bed, like I have to, she wants me to scratch her back or like massage her hand before she falls asleep. She's nine years old, but like, that's a thing that gives her comfort on there. And I know that she kind of gets that. I think she also likes receiving gifts too. She gets really excited about gifts and like, for sure. But, and CJ, I think is definitely quality time too. Mm -hmm. Like he, I started in January doing these prayer walks. And it's been such like daily paradoxes it's been such a fun thing because he now has joined me for the last couple of months and like mm. he seeks me out to ask me to go yeah. and he'll say, mom, when can we go on another mommy Sunday and go ice skating? Like all of them crave mommy, son and yeah. daddy, daughter and you know, daddy so forth dates of that time together. So we see a little bit of all of it now. Yeah. But yeah, they definitely are all unique. Yeah. Too. yeah. And it's going to change. I mean, over time, those things. Those things, yeah, especially sure. when they go through puberty and all that type of stuff, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, <laughs> right. Not that far away. Right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's pivot. And I'd like to go ahead and find out a little bit about where you currently see yourself in life right now. If you were to say, this is Wes and Natalie, where would you say you currently are in life? How would you define yourself? 
because after we kind of lay out where you are now, what I'm then going to want to do is go back go and back. start at childhood and let's kind of take the, the path that got you to where sure. you are. Right. Sure. I mean, if you're, if you're taking the, the 30,000 foot view of yeah. us, I mean, we're, we're, we're two individuals that are, that are fairly successful in the areas that we are, that, that, in, in, the, in the businesses that we are between teacher I mean, and medical IT. Um, we have we have a solid foundation of friends and family around us. Um, all family is local, um, which is a, a bigger benefit than I think a lot of some people might might give credit for. Yeah, yep. um, uh, we are we are connected in our church. We have kids that are healthy and and for the most part well mannered and yep. and and active and um, I mean. Life's an adventure. It's busy, yeah. you know. It's busy. We're also glorified Uber drivers for our kids, you know, between, <laughs> oh, <laughs> between all the sports activities. But like, I we wouldn't <laughs> change like the pandemic. We and I was even listening to podcast this morning saying like, what changed for these people in this podcast? And it was the exactly same thing for us. Like, had we not had that, yeah. we would not have slowed down ever. And so that mm. was almost a gift to us uh, to find. Interesting. Like, we didn't have to be eating dinner and rushing to one yeah. thing. Like, we got to enjoy months of just us and not mm, going to the yeah. next thing. And they were asking this podcast, like, so what are you going to keep sacred now that you've learned that lesson? And I was like, oh, we went right back we to We went right back. Like, I mean, a couple of we weeks ago. We were back to between a Friday and a Sunday we had nine sporting events we had to get to wow. between on a weekend yeah. and so you know when I was telling people about that on a Friday morning business meeting I was like I'm actually looking forward to Monday They're like oh I'm so excited yeah, for the weekend I'm like I don't know my weekend's gonna be busier than, than a work week kind of yeah thing. but I love it and I wouldn't change the world because I we get to see our kids doing what they love and yeah. like it's so hard to say I can't imagine telling them no we do have to limit how many things sports they get but like it's I love watching them happy and, you know, enjoy doing what they're good at. So yeah. as busy as it is, we wouldn't change it, but I'll take the gift of, you know, time and that we had in the pandemic and enjoying some time off. So how do you do that with uh, three kids? Figure out how you're going to strike a balance like that, especially on the weekends. Community is a big thing of it. I mean, you know, just take last night, um, you know, we had... CJ had, had football practice and Quinn had soccer practice and the times kind of overlapped. And so we have a common thing now where, where we have some of the, uh, we share, Quinn got picked up mm-hmm. for soccer and then Emily would, would pick up after soccer mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff. And yeah. so it's, it's some of that. Um, it's us just having to drive a lot, but then it's family too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's grandparents who yeah. are in town coming yeah. and helping out and, um, Again, it's one of those things that if I think back 20 years, I don't know that I would have thought living 10 minutes from my parents was a great thing. Yeah. It's an amazing mm-hmm. thing because of uh, between date nights, between yeah. help coming to the kids' sports, things like that. So um, we're very blessed that we have, a, like I said, a foundation of friends and family that make everything that we have to do pretty easy. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, we're not, we're not stressed and taxed for for our time beyond what we can manage so so do you think you'd be able to do it if you didn't have the uh your family close here in town who had as active of an interest in your kids as they do and want to be a part of their life i think it would be so much more stressful Mm -hmm. yeah because right now like even just even this week there was like you know obviously a game we didn't have friday night and then all of a sudden we had a game friday night and all of a sudden we didn't because it got forfeited it was like all these spinning wheels this week and I was like trying to rearrange, okay, plan, I need to call this person, help with this person. 
But the great thing is there's plenty of people that can call for help and most yeah. are like, yeah, we'll step up. Yeah. But the, the opposite side of that is we also recognize that we can be that people person for other people when they're in that situation too. Yeah. You know, like the soccer moms that we do this with, she had a situation this week and she was going to drive and she couldn't. She's like, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. I'm like, no, that's, we got each other's backs. Like yeah. we got to do this together yeah. if we're going to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a lot of people that are willing to step up and, and usually joyfully. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, okay. So let's step back then. And um, in terms of, tell me about your childhood and years as a youth. What do you want to be growing up? And then the whole transition from like grade school through high school through college. Were those good years, bad years? What sort of challenges did you face? Any particular cliques that you gravitated towards? Sports, hobbies? Mm -hmm. um, what were those years like for you? You want me to go first? Okay. Sure. Um, so I grew up here in St. Louis. Two brothers, mom and dad, married. Um, we talked about earlier, earlier that they... We're very much in love, but different. Didn't really display the physical affection side of it in front of us. Um, but I was in a very loving home. I never doubted my parents loved me. They never missed any sporting event. I was very active in sports as well. You know, growing up, um, pretty much anything you can, you know, imagine I, I tried or did. And um, so they were that glorified Uber driver, just like we are now. Before Uber was a yes. taxi at that time. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but so I actually grew up from kindergarten through eighth grade, going to a private grade school, mm -hmm. and then transitioned to a public high school, kind of followed my brother's path with that. So, I mean, choice of friends was more limited in that private school because you just are with who you're with. Um, but hung out with neighbors and played, you know, and enjoyed the neighborhood community. And then in high school, um, got plugged into volleyball and basketball and played those sports, so definitely gravitated to more athletes the amazing thing is I, mean, I still keep in touch with all my high school friends, my mm, close girlfriends. Wow. Like we meet every couple months for a girls dinner and, you know, constantly talk via text or whatever um, and keep each other updated on things. So that's, I remember my mom always saying, the friends that you meet in high school won't be your friends forever. It's your college friends will be your friends forever. <laughs> and it was the opposite for me. It <laughs> yeah. was totally the opposite. Mm -hmm. So like I have a few college friends I keep in touch with, but really my high school friends are the ones I keep in touch with um, over those two categories. And then um, into church for me growing up was just, I went because you did. You mm -hmm. just were supposed to. Um, but there was no relationship with Jesus for me yeah. until I got to college. And then my freshman year, I played college volleyball. And then after the season was over, I was like, I don't love it anymore. Like this is, mm. it was too much, which had never happened in my life because I always played volleyball all the time. But it was D1 school just was more than I wanted to, to give out. So Kind of a shift for me of, okay, what, what happens to me next? What do I do next? And so I ended up joining a sorority, which lasted like a year maybe, and that just wasn't really me either. <laughs> but that freshman year, I was working, and I met two guys who just witnessed me and just loved the Lord, and it was a different kind of love. And mm -hmm. so they explained to me what that was and what that looked like, and are you a Christ follower? And I was like, well, of course. I go to church on Sundays. And, you know, and they were like, okay, but what does that mean? Like, so how do you still, you know, do you have a relationship? And so the more they poured into me and the more conversations we had and they dug in deeper, I started understanding. And so um, that's where, you know, I, I got saved was in college from these two guys witnessing to me. And where did you go to college? Um, it, well, it was Southwest back mm -hmm. then, but now it's Missouri State in Springfield. Okay. Um, 
And so really from that point, it took me a few years to really understand it, but God just changed the trajectory of my life for sure at that point, because, uh, you know, two years later I was teaching, being a counselor at Canica camps. And then I found out that my best friend who went to Canica all her life was a believer as well. But like it, the click for her with the relationship didn't happen until later in life either. We share this common bond now that was new after all these years of having a friendship. Yeah. And so getting to work at this Christian sports camp, be surrounded by all these believers, um, just rocketed my spiritual life and then I got to come back after college and was terrified because my friends from high school and past didn't didn't have that kind of relationship with him you know just it was different and so I was like well, how am I going to continue to grow and um but God took care of me you know yeah. so what did it look like with your previous if you're still close friends with your high school mm -hmm. friends were you able to be honest and share the fact that you're now a Christ follower? Was that awkward, uncomfortable, or did that feel natural and normal? So for me, I think it's that first fire where you want to tell everybody, you yeah. know, like you're on the spiritual high. And so like I came back into my family and I told my friends and I was like, this didn't work for me growing up, but this works and you should try, you know, and it, that wasn't the right way to go about doing yeah. it. You know, like I needed to build, build into that and, yeah. but, um, lesson learned. So it was good, but no, I was very eager to tell everybody. Yeah. Um, but now, like, I think we're still in different places for yeah. sure spiritually. Um, but they all know where I am in my faith and I don't hide it. Yeah. Like it's, it's who I am and it's a part of my life and I'm not going to hide it. So take it or leave it. Yeah. And they, they take it and you know, it's appreciated and I can love them for who they are and where they are and it works. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Wes? So for me, um, you know, growing up. I would define myself as a really, really skinny, dorky kid, like who craved the approval of others and would uh, would go out of his way to try to get it. And so that it Were you like the class clown growing up? Sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I was the kid that was just picked on and bullied because I was skinny. Yeah. So from a, from a, a guy, a boy yeah. perspective, um, I, I was easy target, you yeah. know? And because I craved attention so much, uh, it was also easy for the popular kids to pick on me because I, I wanted their approval, mm -hmm. so I'll do whatever I can. And then it turns out, oh, they were just kind of messing with you. So um, I look back on, on, on my childhood and, and growing up and just, I, I just remember never feeling like I had a place to belong kind of thing. Um, until like middle school, uh, when I started going to like my church as youth group, I also grew up in a family where mom and dad loved each other real well. Um, they they encouraged us to be involved in, in athletics and sports. And we're, we're, I mean, my dad was coach for a ton of my different teams, and my mom would show up to to as many games as, as she could. So um, you know, I remember being very active and, and very loved, and my parents were both very involved in the church too. Um, and it was something that, again, as a younger kid, church was just a routine. It was something I kind of had to go to. I, I learned all the head knowledge. I knew all the Bible stories. Um, but when I got to middle school and high school, the youth group was a place where people didn't pick on me and they didn't bully me. Like they treated me nicely. Like across the board, they all treated me nicely. And that was different because like at school, there were some people that treated me nicely, but a lot of them didn't. Yeah. At church, everybody treated me nice. And I thought, well, this is just different. And so I gravitated to that. And so, like, church became sort of my social life. Um, again, from the youth group, choir. I'm not, 
I'm not a good singer, but they let me be in the choir, you know? So like, that's true love, right? There. Yeah, that's true love right there. Um, and so, and so when I graduated high school, um, church was a big part of me, but when I went to college, I didn't find, I went to college at Truman State, mm-hmm. and it's three hours away. I didn't find a replacement for that. And, and so this, this area that had provided a lot of comfort and guidance for me quickly fell by the wayside and got replaced by worldly things, right? Um, I, I say in college, I probably got out of my ugly duckling phase. And so I didn't get picked on as much. I got some of the popular people groups were, were seeking my attention, which was just a radical change for me. And so I gravitated to those things, but those things were very worldly things, you know, whether it was drinking, partying, things like that. And so that kind of became my life for a couple of years. Um, by my senior year of, of college, I just, I was tired of it. Like I, I started to feel, you know, like there's, this isn't worthwhile. Like this isn't building me up. It's not good. And so I was sort of kind of done with that phase, but senior year of college, New Year's Eve, you're still going to party, right? And so I came back to St. Louis, met with some friends from high school and, uh, and there, there was a girl there that my best friend at the time wanted to introduce me to. And and it, she was described as, oh, she's just got this amazing personality, which in my head, meant she wasn't attractive, <laughs> but like she was a really nice girl, right? Yeah. Uh, and when she walked in, uh, when she walked in the room, uh, it blew my mind. I was like, oh, wait, she's hot and she has a personality? Okay, yeah. this is good. And so I pursued, pursued her hardcore and it, it, it was an interesting beginning because she, at that time, that's when she had come back from Canada. She was on fire for God. I was about as far away from God as I've ever been, no. just chasing material, worldly things, angry at God for some things that had happened to friends of mine in college, like blaming God for mm-hmm. like when bad things happen, right? I, I attributed them to being God's fault, um, but, but she was on fire for God and she was she was hot, so I, I could fake it, right? Because I knew all the Bible stories, right? I may not have believed it at the time, but I knew them all, so I could, I could walk alongside her. Fast forward three, four months, we're just, we're dating, we're doing life, but she's making it abundantly clear that like being with a non-believer long-term is not a, not an option for yeah. her, yeah. but she's also exhibiting this, um, this faith, this relationship with Jesus I hadn't seen before. It was like a heartfelt relationship. Like she loved Jesus. She didn't read it. She didn't just read about Jesus. She loved Jesus. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's. Okay, I'm kind of starting to, to like her and respect her. Like, I, I got to dig into this more. Yeah. Is So we, we met January 1st, and by April 10th, I had committed my life to Jesus, having having had her witness to me what it looks yeah. like. So let me ask you, what do you think when you went, met Wes mm-hmm. on January 1st? Did you think there was going to be any future to that relationship or not? Uh, I don't think I thought that far ahead. Yeah. Um, I had ne- like really never had a serious, serious boyfriend mm-hmm. um, before him, and so I- her standards were really low. <laughs> no. It was really easy to just step over that bar. <laughs> no, you know? but so so that to say, being on fire for God and where I was in life, the concept of meeting my future husband in a bar did not seem right, logical sure. no, to I me at it. all. Like Tell I was like, there's it. no way yeah. that's gonna happen, yeah. um, and I wasn't looking for my husband there, but. God had different plans. Yeah, he's got a sense of humor. Right, yeah. exactly. He yeah. does. So I think when I met him, like there was, like I thought he was good looking, handsome, and easy to talk to. We talked all night. And 
Um, he put up with my silly questions of what ifs and all kinds of things. But I think in the end, there was a little bit of fear because I had just come off of this spiritual bubble of these amazing Christian followers and seeing what that was like and then entering back into the real world of yeah. I'm out of my Christian can of cuff bubble and yeah. I'm back in the real world. And so being challenged by those friends to seek that out in the world and yet meeting him who I found attractive, but like wasn't a, you know, Christ follower in the sense of having a relationship mm-hmm. with him at that point did scare me. And I reached out to my friends and I was like, okay, here's the deal. Here's what And I was very, very prayerful about it, but I kept hearing God say, like, stick with this, stick with this. And mm-hmm. like with all the prayers, I was like, okay, God, like I'm trusting you and I'm attracted to him. And I yeah. like, I like him a lot. So I'm going to see this out. And so I just kept trying to be prayerful. And like the second he tells me this isn't right, I won't do it. But um, I never had that nudge. And he was definitely continuing just to, to shape him and, woo, you know, us together. And I, it was a good thing. You know, in the end, it, it worked and I wouldn't change for the world. Yeah. So how about you, Wes? Did you know from day one that this was the woman you wanted to pursue? I mean, she was really hot, Rob. I'm just saying. <laughs> and still is. So it's, it's, um, it didn't take long. Uh, again, part of me, part of me being hardwired uh, to always seek people's attention is that I, I typically fall hard, fall fast. Mm-hmm. When I like something... I'm, a, I'm 110% in, gotcha. and, yeah. you know, call it addictive personality, whatever, whatever it is, I, I'm in, it probably wasn't more than a few weeks in that I was like, there's just something different about yeah. her, right? Yeah. Like she's got that worldly attraction, but then she's got this otherness to her yeah. that I've never seen in any other girl that I've ever met. Yeah. And people are just drawn to her. Like, again, when we're at that bar New Year's Eve. Yeah. All of her guy friends that were there kept coming up and saying, "You don't, you don't want to, you don't want to keep pursuing her. You know, she's not, not gonna get what you want. Like, just they were, too, they were so protective yeah. of her. Like, and and everybody to this day, like, she just, she doesn't have enemies. People just love her, and it's because the way she lives her life and loves other people yeah. well. And and I didn't know how to define it at the time, but I did pick up like there's just something different about her. So I, yeah, I, I did what I could to hold on to her." Yeah, cool. Um, so let's fast forward then in terms of um, you've got the relationship going. You're both headed like in two different directions in terms of your career. What have your careers been like um, since you originally started them up to where they are now? Mine's been pretty consistent. Like I knew growing up I wanted to be a teacher. I came from a mom who was a teacher. And um, so I am the rare few that knew what they wanted early on in life. I just loved kids. Like my parents would tell you now that even as a kid, I said I wanted to be a teacher. Um, So for me, it hasn't changed tons. You know, I have seen God's fingerprint on certain, I mean, he's all over, all over it, but there's certain aspects that where I'm like, oh, that was a God thing because I never, I debated on going into PE and being a PE teacher, but landed on preschool because I wanted a classroom for myself, whereas PE, you don't get to really get to know the kids because they're constantly transitioning a new class, new class. So landed on that. But um, when I was got my job and interviewed for my, my current position, um, I had said it was the year I was going to work at camp. And I had said, so I have to do this interview and I just want you to know, like in two days I'm going to camp and I will have no contact because there's no phones or you yeah. like you can only call once every month or whatever. And by the grace of God, the guy that worked H and my mom and dad said, 
don't do can I cook again another because it was my second year. Don't do it again. You need to focus on a job. And I was like, I just feel like I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to be here. I don't know why I'm supposed to be here. Well, I did this interview with Rockwood and the person at HR, when I told him that, he said, where are you going? And I told him and he said, that speaks so so much of your character and speaks volumes of mm. your character. You're hired yeah. oh, wow. and I'm going to give you a provisional certificate to get your special education mm. degree. And I never mm. had intention going to special ed, yeah. but so not only did they hire me, but they paid me to finish my college degree wow. in special education while mm-hmm. I had my job I was teaching. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was like, that was a God thing. Like yeah. I didn't Amen. see myself here, yeah. but he knew I need to be there. Yeah. So I've been, I teach in a classroom by myself for, I don't know, I'm in like 17 or 18 years now, I think, but um, for like nine or 10 years by myself. And then a co-teaching position opened up where I'm in a classroom, or a little larger classroom with a regular teacher I teach. And I, I didn't see that door coming, but when it opened, I was like, why not? There's change. It's good. So I moved to that, and um, I probably am one of the very few people that will retire in the same position I wow. got out of college. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is I just love early childhood. I love what I do. So. Yeah. How about you, Wes? Yeah, well, and, and first, as a reminder, when you were at Canacook, I forgot to mention this earlier, like... Um, we dated from, from January mm-hmm. to May, graduated college, and then she went to Canada for that second time. She was gone all summer. Mm-hmm. So I, I, we both were about to live in St. Louis, but she left to go to camp, and it's a camp where there's no phone calls, there's no visiting. We had to write letters. Yeah, from, incredible. And oh, send them via, via the mail. Yeah, yeah. And I do credit that as a big building block for our relationship, mm-hmm. is that we yeah. dated for five months, kind of long distance, but we yeah. saw each other like every other weekend. And then... And then instead of coming back and being together all the time, we had to just write letters to each other and still do life kind of separate, which is interesting. Well, I think God knew what he was doing with that because I think he needed to spiritually have like spiritual independence. Like he needed to grow for himself and pursue Jesus without me pushing him to do so. And that's exactly what he did. Like God got him plugged in in so many ways that I think I would have been a distraction at that time. So I was growing individually and he was growing individually so that God could prepare us to be together. Yeah. As a couple spiritually. So career-wise, I, I, I graduated college and, and wanted to, to, to rise up in corporate America. So my very first job was I managed a Krispy Kreme store. Because that's where all <laughs> budding executives right, all start. successful. Uh, yeah. uh, eventually got into banking uh, and really excelled there. Um, I am an introvert, but I can... I can schmooze people when I need to. And so So and, if you're an introvert, are you implying that Natalie's the extrovert? Oh, 150%. Oh, oh my god. A lot of people don't believe that. Like they know I'm I an extrovert, know. but they don't realize he's an introvert. You're thinking wow. because of youth group and yeah. camp and some of those things. Again, yeah, and the, situation the pink outfits right? and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. See, Ron, part of that comes from that desire to be accepted oh. and to be liked. And so I will go to ridiculous extremes I'm learning to get stuff. attention. Yeah. Wow. Uh, hopefully good attention yep. sometimes. Yep. Um, but got into banking and excelled and did really well there. Got into to upper management and thought this was going to be like, just keep going this round. We had kids and um, managing in banking, you're in the office oftentimes till 6, 630. I mean, the, and, and you know, when we had kids and they were little, they, they were going to bed at 7, 630, 7 o'clock. So mm-hmm. like... You know, you'd leave in the morning, take them to daycare. I wouldn't get back until they're about ready to go to bed. And, like, it got to a point between just some stresses in the job and then just uh, the strain it was having on, on, on family time that I was like, I need to change. And kind of, a, I still think kind of a God thing. Got into 
sort of the, the hospital medical field into kind of like an IT position, had no background in, none whatsoever, but it seemed like a challenge. Fast forward nine years, uh, I've, I've risen through the ranks uh, in, on my team in one of the highest positions, and it has, I work from home, and I have for years, even pre-pandemic, I've worked from home. Um, when my kids started kindergarten at a public school, which is five minutes away, I started a tradition that once a week I would go to lunch with them. And so until COVID hit, every week of their entire elementary school career, I did lunch with them. And at the end of lunch, we would take a picture. Mm. And so I have a collage yeah, nice. of like lunches it. that I've done with my yeah. kids. That would not have been possible if I sure. was in banking or yeah. if I was in some corporate office or anything like that. And so I had... You know, when I graduated, I had these these visions of grandeur. I wanted to be an executive. I wanted to rise up in business because you know, being successful yeah. it meant meant leadership and money. And it got redefined as we had kids. And successful to me is I can't wait. I'm yeah. hopeful next school year they they let parents back in to do lunch with the kids because that to me is success. Yeah. You know, to be there for the kids Amen. and make those memories. Yeah. So we always often talk about like what it would look like for him to continue to go up in his career and the, the measures it would take if he wanted to switch jobs and everything. And we're like, to us, at least now, and the conversations we had, they're like, it's it's not worth it. Like, even yeah. if it's more money, then there's travel and then there's it's time away from the family. And so for us, we're perfectly, like God's provided. Mm-hmm. We're content. We're happy. Like, we don't need more. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, we're just resting in where we are in, in yeah. contentment. That's awesome. Um because I think there are a lot of people who kind of get sucked into that, the, the job being their, their primary mm-hmm. focus and climbing the corporate ladder, like you're saying. And before they realized it, like 5, 10, 15 years of their kids' life are gone. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, they may be successful where they are career-wise, but then they've missed out on what mm-hmm. you yeah. two are both obviously having, that real success is the, the true important things in life, like family and relationship. Yeah. Um, sure. So speaking of which, <laughs> let's talk about family life. You have three kids. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that like? And any plans to have more? That ship has sailed. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. I continue to keep well, learning. Well, and that's more. a funny story too because we um, we both came from a family of three mm-hmm. and thought mm-hmm. that's what we wanted, and then obviously went through some major hardships. Um, with infertility and loss and it was tragic which we can get into later or not either way but the the when we got to having quinn and cj boy and a girl a boy and a girl west was like we're good we got two healthy they kids. are healthy they, at, they i mean at that time they were like, like four three and four five and four something like that no, three i mean they could they could kind of dress themselves they could feed themselves like our job was getting easier, right? And I was like, oh, we don't need to roll the dice again. Like, that will be good. And so this was like, I don't know what, it was like March of 2015. And uh, she's like, well, I kind of feel like we should have another one. I'm like, mm, I don't. Yeah. Um, so, so we gambled, right? Like, in my head, we, we, we went through two years of infertility before we had our first. Right. And so when she's like, well, let's just give it some time and just see, right? Like, you know, let nature happen. Um, I was like, let's set a time of it, six months. Mm-hmm. If by Thanksgiving of this year, if, if we're not mm-hmm. pregnant, then 
We shut the door. Well, in. it had to be yeah. longer than six months because it takes longer than that to have a baby. No, no, to get pregnant. Oh, okay. I was like, uh, wait a minute, that's bad. And, and Rob, I kid you not, a week before Thanksgiving, we took a pregnancy uh, test and she's pregnant. <laughs> that's how we found out. And uh, I'm like, oh man, and, you know. Yeah. And, and she's my favorite now. Maybe because she's the youngest and she doesn't. She's not. Well, she needs to give her other kids a complex because you said that. Like she's right. Maybe before we do that, uh, well, let's talk about um, your first pregnancy mm-hmm. with Quinn. Would you like to share yeah. that story? Yeah, that's absolutely. That's an important part of your. Well, I actually, we'll go back to before my my first pregnancy, which okay. was before Quinn. Um, so we decided we want to have kids, and we're like ready to go and pursue that. And then um, it just didn't happen for us. Like the timing didn't happen. And of course, what we know now about infertility is you feel so alone and like that it hasn't happened to anybody. Yeah. And until you share that, then everybody you know has gone through it. Like yeah. it's so it felt very alone and working as a preschool teacher where you're constantly surrounded by kids was super duper hard. Um, but so we had decided we we're going to start trying and it just didn't happen, didn't happen. Went to a specialist to get help and... Um, he said, you'll never get pregnant on your own without in vitro. Mm. Well, at that point, we were trying what's called IUIs, and we did get pregnant. And it mm. was like, he was surprised. So um, we were blown away, overjoyed, because by this time, I think it had been a year we'd been trying. And um, so found out right before Mother's Day. And, mm-hmm. of course, just being excited it finally happened, we're eager to tell the news right away and didn't wait the 12 weeks you're supposed to wait. And so announced on Mother's Day that we were pregnant and then like the next day I think I got a call from the nurse saying your numbers aren't up and you're probably going to lose the baby mm-hmm. and um this was it was very early on but I don't care a loss is a loss no matter yeah, if you're right. two weeks pregnant a week pregnant or nine months pregnant it doesn't matter a loss is a loss and so I of course that day was I was in the car bawling and I'm like I can't stay at work I gotta go yeah. home and so um, went home and of course he does, those are a rough couple of years, but yeah. I mean, it was definitely a season of depression for me. It was, you know, this, this, you know, again, the, the reason I was so attracted to her aside from physical beauty was just the light that she yeah. had and how she drew people in. And this was a period of time where that light was just daily being dwindled yeah. in there. You know, we were very involved in the church and in the youth group and, um, were surrounded by a lot of great friends but they knew some of the struggle we were going through. And when we would show up on Wednesday nights and people would start asking, how are you doing? The how are you doing meant, are you pregnant yet? Yeah. Or how are you doing with not being pregnant? Mm-hmm. And it would send her to yeah. into tears. And so doing things, doing life became complicated because we were loved so well mm-hmm. and everyone wanted to know how we were. So we had to get to a point where we had to sort of set up some healthy boundaries and protect yourself and step away from youth while we're yeah. going through a difficult thing, which sounds counterintuitive. You want to be in community and you want them to help you help you out, but but also it was just emotionally draining to see the strongest person I know just yeah. constantly like you know sad. Yeah. And crying. Yeah. Well, and so that led us of a year of contemplating what comes next and still hoping and believing mm-hmm. that you know we'd get pregnant on our own. Um, and our specialist kept saying you have to have IVF, you have to have IVF. So. We struggled through that. I mean, he would tell you that we still showed up to church every Sunday. But there was a point where he asked me, can you still do this? Because yeah. every Sunday I would bawl at yeah. church. And it was always during worship. Worship, for me, is such a vulnerable time. Like, I feel like God just speaks 
volumes through that music. Yeah. And so for me, it was just a, it was like, we're setting the tone and Natalie's already bawling her eyes out and we haven't even gotten the message yet. But there was something that kept saying, you need to show up, just show up. And so we did, we kept coming that place, we set boundaries in other places and step back. And then finally decided to do in vitro um, in January of what, 2010-ish? Yeah. Um, and then got pregnant. And so we were, of course, overjoyed. And we found out the first ultrasound that they just said, you're having a baby. And we're like, oh my goodness, it happened. We're having a baby. We're so overjoyed. And then the next week, they revealed we were having two, and that we were having twins. And so we didn't find that out instantly until that second time. And of course, we're like, oh my gosh, no kids. We're going to have twins. This is going to be amazing. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Two at once. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I thought it was amazing. A little bit like this could be a lot. Natalie, you're not thinking this through. <laughs> but, um, and then it was, we of course waited learning from the last time to not announce right away. Of course, the people like my mom was a rock by my side. And yeah. of course, he obviously was the main rock by my side too. But my mom was always there checking in. So she knew exactly the timeline of everything. And so right about that 12 weeks, we um, went in to get that final like all clear. Yeah. And that's when our hearts were pretty much torn out. Yeah, we, got, we were in there doing an ultrasound because we were sort of high risk because we had been through some miscarriages and because we were doing IVF and, and it was a more intense process. We were we were getting ultrasounds like on a weekly basis and doing blood tests. I mean, she was a regular at the hospital. We knew the staff really well and they were they were amazing and great. Um, but also because we, we got ultrasounds a lot um, and we were used to certain reactions on the ultrasound text mm. face as she's seeing things. Mm. And this week yeah. it was different. Mm -hmm. And this week... She asked us to stay in the room a little longer yeah. than normal. And it turned out that um, one of the twins, um, a daughter that we, we eventually named Kayla, Kayla Hope, um, had a condition that the medical uh, community would call it was incompatible with life. And, you know, it was their technical way of saying, look, this baby's not going to live. Now, baby could, you know, we're at 12 weeks, baby could live three more weeks, it could make it to full term, it could live three weeks after being born, but life just statistically is just not gonna work with this. Um, it is by far, of everything in our entire life, the hardest thing to hear, right? And um, and the most confusing thing to hear because you've, at the one hand, we're told baby A is perfectly healthy, baby B is yeah. not gonna make it. Yeah. And like, we spent the next, uh, well, I don't know the math, and I went five, months, six months yeah. um, in a really weird gray place of anger, but also hope, and then also joy, but then followed again by grief. anger and grief. And, yeah. um, it was an interesting um, pregnancy. It God showed up in a lot of ways there. Um, Kayla, awesome. well, Kayla was the most active baby mm -hmm. to this day. I mean, it looked like she had an alien inside of her and that mm -hmm. these mm -hmm. arms and legs and feet mm -hmm. would just be moving and the text would tell us, well, that's, that's Kayla yeah. and that's Kayla in there. And then Quinn's just over here. I don't know if she was getting beat up or something. Mm -hmm. And so she's just yeah. in her little corner, but like, but Kayla was so, so active and, um, we got, we ended up getting three hours with her, two, two hours with her, um, before she passed in our arms. Yeah. So we carried her full term. We got two hours with her, but man, those six months, 
she was active and we would read stories to her and we would mm-hmm. pray and we would sing and we would cry and like I'm thankful that we got that time yeah. right it, it could have been it could have been a miscarriage where she she passed in utero we got we got to carry her and that that was hard that was his own set of burdens but we got to meet her we got to say hello and then we had to say goodbye and I mean that that event definitely shaped us mm-hmm. as a couple well, as a family as our a family. family like our kids know her like they don't hmm. she is a yeah. part of our family like even Kelsey our youngest who you know is that's a, a big age difference between them but she knows Kayla's her sister she yeah. knows that if we see a butterfly a butterfly reminds us of Kayla and she'll say that you know like they they each have some unique connection and they recognize that she's part of our lives and we're very vocal and um, we don't hide it. We don't hide that we had this loss and that it was then and it's over now. No, like she's, we're going to meet her again. Yeah. You know, yeah. and she's very much a part of our lives. Yeah. So. Um, so the, the three children that you have now, mm-hmm. um, what do you think, what is it that stands out and is unique about each one of them? They're all so different. <laughs> yeah. So our oldest, Quinn, um, you know, I think she's got uh, the oldest child syndrome, when I'm an oldest child, where she just likes to be a bit in control, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I always tell her she has my brain. The way that her brain operates, the way that she tries to be efficient and logical and kind of kind of control things just because she thinks she knows the better ways. Like, uh, I feel that that's, you know, she has... I think some of the leadership ability mm-hmm. built within inside of her. Um, right now we have to tell her not to be bossy, but it's <laughs> it's it's the makings of, of kind of leadership on there. Well, I think she's such a... It, the thing I always tell her is be a leader, but listen to the voices of others. Mm-hmm. Like be the kind of leader that will take input from others and use that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's a, she's a huge helper too. She wants to help. She wants to serve Mm-hmm. You know, so like I'll come home, she's like, I'm going to clean the whole house for you. You know, mm-hmm. and she's a sensitive soul too. She's very yeah. sensitive. and. But that that really is more our second Caleb, our, our mm-hmm. son. Um, I, if I, if I have to define Quinn as wholly, you know, majority my daughter in mm-hmm. terms of like personality mm-hmm. and just the way her mind works, I would define CJ as Natalie's son. Mm-hmm. He just has a heart to love others, to love others and to love God. And that it comes so easy to him. It is not difficult for him to put others first. You know, maybe not his siblings as much, you know, (laughs) but friends, family, strangers, somebody. He is known at school for for getting up from his seat and going to sit at a table where there's just one kid sitting by himself. Mm. In my entire life, I've never done that. Yeah. You know, like it just comes so naturally to him. So that's the kind of kid, like it's, it's really sweet at night. We had this routine, which I haven't been as good at lately, but we would say every morning, like, call out the gifts we see in them. Like, mm-hmm. you are beautiful, and you are athletic, and you are smart, and yeah. you are kind, and try cool. to call I it like out. That. And then say, now go and make the world a better place. Yeah. And challenge him to do that. What I love about him is every night, he still says, Mom, how'd you make the world a better place today? <laughs> and he always oh, has an awesome. answer for how he did, and every time he answers... Yeah. I'm telling you, it's that childlike faith that I'm like, I need that. Yeah. Like he challenges and inspires me to be yeah. a better person because yeah. of his answers. I'm like, yeah. holy cow, I just said I helped a kid up off the ground. Yeah. And yet you did something big, bold, outrageous, beautiful thing. Yeah. So 
it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And then our youngest, Kelsey, um, again, the one I didn't want back when we had two, and I was like, I don't think we need a third. Um, I just define her as a bundle of joy, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, she's a four-year-old going on five, and so she's, you know, behavioral things here and there, but she just is always smiling and always happy, and it's hard not to be happy around her. Like, she just has this zeal, this zest for life that is kind of contagious um sort of that childlike innocent thing where she just thinks life is simpler than maybe it kind of is but it's kind of contagious when you're when you're around her so yeah yeah she's a happy happy little girl and she she's a physical touch kid too like she gives the best hugs she just clings to you and loves like a spider monkey she is she every part of her clings to you so she's just a little bundle of joy. She really is. Well, I noticed her curl up in your lap, like when we were mm-hmm. upstairs uh-huh. earlier. So that was just natural. That seemed to be her nap. Yes. Place, just mm-hmm. right there in daddy's lap. Yeah. So, um, so I asked this question kind of teasingly earlier. Do you have a favorite kid? And do you think God has favorites? And if so, have you ever felt like you were one of God's favorite kids, whether it's for a day, a moment, or a season of life? Mm. Well, I'll answer first because I don't know if she'll give you an honest answer. Um, you know, I joke all the time that Kelsey, the youngest, is the favorite, and, and a big a big part of that is because she's just still so pliable yeah. and obedient. <laughs> she's four, yeah. and my other two have started thinking for themselves, which means that they're not always making the choices I want them to make. But that's part of growing up, right? And so I, I jokingly say that. I mean, it's it's really tough. Again. Quinn is always going to be the one I struggle the most with because she's so much like yeah. me. Yeah. CJ is the only boy I have, so I've got connections with him. And then Kelsey's that bundle of joy. So, I, you know, it's it's probably the parent answer to say there are favorite parts about each of them. Right. Right. And the They're things I like favorite. about each of them yeah. are very no. different than what That's I like totally about fair. each of the other ones. So. Yeah. But if you need an official answer, it'd probably be Kelsey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my official answer would be the parent answer. <laughs> fair enough. But you asked the second part of that too. You asked about God yeah, and what yeah. you think. And I, I was pondering that when he was answering that question. And I think, trying to figure out how to put it in words, but I think that question scares me a little bit because I think it's easy to assume that maybe you're one of his favorites when you do all the things right. And I think that's Good a point. trap that I don't want to be in. Right. And so like, I don't, I don't want to see myself as his favorite because then I'm making it about me and not about him. No. I think if I could receive his love the way he intends me to receive it, Mm -hmm. I would feel at every moment I've got to be Mm -hmm. God's favorite. If I could really receive his love, I think I only just received just a fraction of it. Well, and it comes to how our relationships are here in the world where if I am not treating Natalie the best... Mm -hmm her love for me is going to be affected by that, mm-hmm. right? Her physical touch is not going to be as as willing if I'm not doing all these things, right? So it's sort of a, that's just kind of how we're wired human-wise. It's hard to understand that God's not wired that way yeah, and that right. he loves me unconditionally. Yep. Amen. Have I ever felt like God's favorite? I, I would say I would define myself no because I look at it from a worldly view and say, there's no way I could be God's favorite. I'm a mess up. I'm a right. screw up. Like there's yes, no possible right. way. And and yet, in my heart, I know that if I was the only person that ever lived, everything Jesus went through, I would have gone through yeah. for me. And, yeah. and it's mind-blowing when you slow down and think about that. My problem is I don't slow down enough. Yeah. Right. To think yeah. about I think that. just knowing that we're his child 
should be enough to sustain us because that it should be that's incredible is incredible right exactly but it is it's slowing down enough to recognize that and realize that beauty i think i get stuck too much also on thinking of the fact of the the sinful part of who Mm -hmm. i am and i just don't lean into the fact that jesus has basically absorbed paid the penalty for all that and that God delights in who I am. Can you imagine the creator of the universe just delights in who you are? Right, right. That's incre- that should take you back to like when you were first Christ follower 101, those same emotions and feelings. But I'm the same way. I've been a Christ follower long enough that kind of that part of my trajectory is kind of flattened out. Right. Yeah. And I just wonder why don't I still have that amazing awe of like a child mm-hmm. every day? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beauty for me of like, like I said, those prayer walks to my son. Like I've yeah. seen him grow so much and like he is a prayer warrior and he just gets out there and prays his guts out. And then like I'm listening and I'm like, God, you are so good. Like he loves you so much, you know? Well, and I think that's how we, you know, as longtime believers, I don't know that we're going to have that same, we won't, we won't have that same mountaintop experience that we yeah. first had when we first yeah. believed. But if if we don't sit on the sidelines, so if we get active in our faith and active in the community of believers, you can witness that in others and right. to lead them through that. Again, I, I've been doing youth group for yeah. 17, 18 years total now. Yeah. And and being able to be with middle school and high school kids that get it, yeah. I mean, it's I get, I get to kind of borrow oh, yeah. their mountain oh, yeah. experience, right. you know, My and it does remind yeah, We experience it through them. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's, it's, if I just sat on the sideline and just said, okay, I'm a believer, um, I'll, I'll read my Bible, I'll pray with my family, I mean, that would be good, but it, it wouldn't be as good as kind of diving into other areas and helping, helping those outside of yeah. your immediate yep. family. I agree, 100%. It stagnant. Yeah. But it, is there anything cooler than like what you're witnessing with CJ? When you see one of your kids loving God well... Mm-hmm. And you just get to witness that and experience it. How much cooler could that be? We've talked about, like, ever since Mm. even pre-kids, I think, like, the greatest moment of our life is going to be when our kids get it. Yeah. When they get what relationship Jesus looks like. And we've been blessed to see two of our three argue that. that So, like, Quinn, when she was three years old, walked in and was like, I want to ask Jesus in my heart. And, you know, like, we got to walk through at three, and she still remembers this day. It's written in her Bible what day it happened. It wasn't like we talked about it and let her through that. Like, she came to a decision for herself. And two weeks ago, CJ did the same thing. Yeah. And it was amazing because yeah. when he did it, it was, it was again, out of the blue. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing that he recognized that I didn't after he did it was he said, Mommy, we share a salvation day now. Yeah. Because I had asked Christ in my heart 21 years ago on the same day. Oh, and he cool. wanted to share that yeah. with me, which was oh. really cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. And we, you know, we're talking about CJ and his faith, but Quinn mm-hmm. loves to write lyrics. And, oh, she, and, and she writes... She, she writes a lot of Christian songs, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're nine-year-old songs, but like, they're songs that come from her heart, and you can read these songs and go, oh, she gets it, yeah. right? Like, there are things that kid. I mean, for a long time, I faked it when I was, when I was trying to pursue Natalie and be like, oh, no, I understand the Jesus thing, right? Like, I knew the head knowledge, yeah. but, but when you understand at a heart level, like, it just looks different, it sounds different, yeah. and again, like, she's, she's got a journal of a, of a bunch of lyrics that she's wrote that to just cool random yeah, tunes but that that are that are words from her heart that she's just yeah. kind of getting out she would be everything. embarrassed probably appreciate it but we always tell her like we're so proud of you finding a way mm-hmm. 
to an outlet to let these feelings out in a healthy way. And we're so thankful that that outlet includes her faith and that being the foundation. You know, that is cool. Um, so in terms of relationship, how do you strike a balance between being a parent and being intentional about focusing on your relationship as a couple? We kind of touched on this earlier, Mm -hmm. but, um, date night, for example, and are you still in love and how's that changed or grown over the past years? And what's it mean to be in love, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could get really awkward on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, Wes probably will have a very different answer to me, but I think it being being very, very intentional. Um, because like just two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, we took a trip to Fort Lauderdale, just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And we left the kids at home with the babysitter, and they did not want us to go. And how are you leaving us? Why can't we go on this trip with you? <laughs> And we were very intentional about saying that it's important for mommy and daddy to be together. It's important for us to us because we need to model this for you. And that that has value. He is better, 100% of putting me first, whereas I often put the kids first. You know, and I don't know if that's innate motherly instinct or just Natalie instinct. I don't know. But he's very good about telling the kids, your God is my first love, your mom is my second, and you kids are my third. I love that Wes does that. Yes. It's just very funny because we had a discussion about this just last night. (laughs) Last night. (laughs) The topic came up. But uh, the same things. I mean, she is the best member that these kids could possibly ask for. Um, There's a bit of jealousy on my part, right? Because she gives them so much of herself. Great observation. And and some of that strikes back to, gosh, years when we were trying to get pregnant. She was so focused on being a mother that in my head I'm going, well, what if you can't be a mother? Can we still have a happy marriage if yeah. you can't be a mom? You know, and it made me... Great question. We never, that we that never, was a hard question. We never got to the answer to that. Right. We, ended up, we did end up getting pregnant on that. But like, yeah. again, back to a kid that, that grew up trying to seek out that self-worth and be validated in some of those things. And so, again, I'm a 40-year-old man now, so I, I don't necessarily need that. I know that she loves me, but then... Again, those come up that that we need us time and yeah. pre-COVID, uh, we went on, we got more date nights than any couple that I know of. Again, we have both grandparents in town, both sets of all of our siblings in town, and then a bunch of friends we trust. So like, mm-hmm. we had no shortages of people that could watch our kids, and so we would go on dates very frequently. COVID changed things a little bit. Um, but I think he still has to remind me like. It's okay for us to go on a date and to leave the kids for a little bit, and they'll survive. And you know, and it's healthy for them to see, see that, right? You know, which is they're at a, an interesting age and all that, but but they need to know that we're there for them. But how they see our marriage right now is how they're gonna have their relationships later on, right? Like just how Absolutely. I grew up seeing my mom, yeah. dad, physical touch, and her parent. Like there's that family of origin that they're they're learning how to do significant other relationships from us. And they're learning what parenthood looks like too, right? So they, luckily, they've got you know a dad that really wants mom and a mom yeah. that really wants kids and dad, and so it's you know they're getting both of those, yeah. but it's it's just a constant shifting of, of, shift, yeah. of yeah. priorities and all that. So yeah. So you've kind of already answered this, but what's it look like to be a father, husband, who prioritizes his relationship with Christ first? So you've kind of mentioned that Christ first, mom second, and then kids third. Yeah. Yeah. The, the G, Jesus is hard because I can't just go and hang out with him like, you know, 
How do you experience, um, what's your love language in terms of experiencing your relationship with God? Does it come through uh, scripture, through mm -hmm. nature, through worship, yeah. through other relationships? So for me, the, the two primary ones would, would be worship. Music has always been a big mm -hmm. thing for me. Um, again, I can't sing. The church will let you sing in the choir just because they're really nice. But uh, man, I just songs that deal with not being worthy and yet still being loved yeah. or that grace and the forgiveness like those those songs just always pierce me and, and, it, and it's good and so I, I connect really well there um and then i forgot the other thing that i was going to say it was there. you and not me that forgot <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> i was going to ask you the same thing in terms of what's it look like to be a mom and wife who's a christ follower first and foremost um, and then what's your love language look like with God in terms of how do you really connect, resonate, mm -hmm. worship God? Mm -hmm. I think my, for mom, wife, like I think we're, we try to incorporate our spiritual growth into just every, it's natural, right? Mm -hmm. Just every day. Like we just, we go to church cause we enjoy it. Like yeah. we go to church, church and our kids do that. It's not, it's not a chore. Yeah. Like when you're in the pandemic, it was our daughter that came up to us and said, I want to go back. I want to go back. And it was right after church opened. Yeah. And I was like, well, who mm. am I to keep that from her? Yeah. You know, so I think letting, encouraging them to find that, but setting up natural routines that they are exposed to. So like they know that in the morning, mommy gets up and reads the Bible. And that's just, it just is what it is. That's I, I, I read my Bible and then I work out. They see it every day. Yeah. And of course, nowadays it's like my Bible app, my phone. <laughs> But for a long time, was we'd sit on the Bible couch, as they termed it, and they'd read the Bible. It was just and, a regular couch, but yeah. it was one that they got used to reading the Bible on every morning, yeah. so they'd call it the Bible couch, yeah. which, you know. So I, I would do that every morning, and now the tides have kind of turned, and now he's doing the Bible with them while I'm working out. Yeah. And sometimes, like, mornings, Quinn will get on the Bible app and do the kids' part of the Bible yeah. app and watch that story. And so I think it's just setting these routines in, like, our small group, and they, they want that. They want surrounding them by community that they don't maybe even recognize right now what it is, but that it's very intentional of, we want you to see mommy and daddy doing life with other believers and trying to be iron sharpening iron. Yeah. And we want you to, you know, we want to serve and love yeah. others who don't know Jesus. And so just making a natural routine. Um, the other part of that was the, how I relate to God. And you, as soon as you were giving him the options, I was like, Oh, that's me right there was the relational. Like I yeah. just, I love people. Yeah. I love I love seeing people grow in their faith. Yeah. So it's very easy for me to talk about my faith and um, throw it out there. And if they want to engage, if you know, great. If not, we'll get there some point, but they don't know where I stand. And so I just definitely relationship yeah. is huge to me. And I'm never mad at that part now. Um, <laughs> probably because he asked the question a second time. <laughs> I, I needed that. Uh, it, it's it's um, intellectual aha moments. Right. Like I've been on yeah. the Bible for a long, long time and read a lot of the same scriptures. But whenever a, a pastor or somebody wise explains it, just a little bit of a twist to it. When those when those happen, those aha moments, like those are those stick with me. Yeah. And those are things that I kind of file in the cabinet. And I'm like, I'm going to use that someday. Yeah. Like I'm going to I'm going to use that how how it was explained that grace or that love or 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 whatever it is. I'm, I'm going to use that to minister to somebody else. Our kids see us pouring out a lot. I mean, between youth group, between 
you know, she'll, she'll speak to moms that are going through infertility or moms that are going through loss. I mean, they, they see us pour out a lot, but one thing we've had to get, keep ourselves in check with is making sure we're getting poured into as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our church has used this analogy a lot, but I mean, if you've got a cup that's full of water and you start pouring that water out, you're eventually going to run out of water unless you fill it back yeah, up. Absolutely. And, you know, so uh, there's a men's group that I've started going to, and I've tried a lot of different kind of men's groups in there, mm -hmm. and personalities just haven't meshed, or the, the teaching lesson just just didn't kind of uh, intellectually stimulate me. Yeah. And I finally found one for the last past ah, six or good. eight months that, mm -hmm. that that relationally I I connect with the guys, yeah. but intellectually it challenges me. And again, I'm, I've been searching for twenty something years for that, but just finally now found it, but it's good to have those moments to pour into you um, so that you're equipped to be able to pour out, yeah. you know, what, what you don't practice at, you don't get better at. Kind yeah. Of Amen. So. so if you're going to give couples, our listeners advice regarding how to strike the right balance between self, kids, relationship, work, and God, what would that be? 25% for each. 25% there you go. Whatever. That, that, that adds up to 125% or 150%. Yeah, you give it all to get Yep. I think we always, I think we've told our kids this before too, and we try to like live by that triangle image of like God is always the top. Mm -hmm. And then it funnels down from there. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, family and, and friendships and community and all that kind of stuff. But our focus and our desire is always to keep God at the center. And cause, because it's that's very easy to pull him off that pedestal and get distracted by other things. Yeah, amen. You know, so I think um, that that's kind of been a, an image for us to keep in the back of our heads. Yeah, and for us it's been, I'd say we try to follow um, Jesus' example. Jesus didn't uh, surround himself with tens, hundreds, thousands of, of close acquaintances. He, he had 12 disciples. He had a, a foundation of really close people that I think provided strength for him and that he could also then pour into. And so, yeah, I mean, the triangle, God first, family second, but then you've, you've got to have other people that you do life with that, um, that builds you up. I mean, our kids are in third and second grade and preschool, but when we talk to them about what do friendships look like, friendships are people who are going to make you a better person, right? They're not going to lead you off into, to, you know, a, a side path or away from God or away from family. They're going to help you make the right decisions on there. So uh, the, the balancing act just comes from um, being intentional about making, t I mean, any relationship requires time. So um, worldly demands, the, the demands on our marriage, the demands on the kids in school and sports, if we're not careful, that will take up 24 hours in a day. Mm. And then we'll be left at the end going, well, I didn't have time for God. Um, the thing that, again, I admire about my wife is that she gets up extra early in the morning to make sure that she starts her day with God. Because if she were to do what I do and get up and drink my coffee and start work and then, uh, you know, I'm a night owl, I'll get to it at night. Guess who doesn't do devos at night? The Isn't night that owl. the way Jesus started his day out? <laughs> I, you know what? I don't with coffee in the morning. <laughs> no. Early in the, the morning. The reason I do that is somebody said once to me, 
you can either let your Devo affect your day or your day affect your Devo. Yeah. And that stuck right. with me. Yep. And I was Love like, it. and I know it doesn't work for some. Some people do better at night. But for yeah. me, it made sense that I'm going to let my devotional affect how the outcome of my day will be. Yeah. Versus mm-hmm. yeah. the alternative. Um, I want to be respectful of your all's time. We're already over the, the hour limit. <laughs> we um, talk a lot. Sorry. <laughs> no. I appreciate you sharing the story about Kayla. Yeah, of I course. I really appreciate that. I appreciate both you guys. Love you all very much. Yeah. And I uh, appreciate you for doing this. So. so for everybody out in Podcastville, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this story. Uh, to a very special friend of mine, I love you dearly. And this has been an episode of Real Friends. <laughs>